that uh, this is working and that you are able to tune in. Uh, we've been working a little bit this morning trying to uh, see if we had any glitches. We think we have them all worked out. And so first, I just want to say uh, thank you to everyone for uh, tuning in. Uh, I want to say welcome to the uh, Earlham Church of Christ crowd. And um, this thing says it's trying to, it says finish, trying to reconnect. So we're so it's buffering. So it says live. Okay, I'm going to keep moving forward. The monitor that I have in front of me is going to occasionally it's going to say uh, uh, something that's going to be distracting to me, and so I apologize. <clears throat> but. Uh, just want to welcome everyone from Earlham and uh, welcome all of you from Countryside Christian Church and anyone else that might tune in later and watch this uh, uh, through the internet in some other format. Uh, if you have a uh, pen and a piece of paper with you, uh, perhaps you have uh, downloaded or uh, made available to yourself the outline that I put together for this. Uh, you might want to also open up your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And then I just want to sort of address, uh, why are we uh, here? What are we doing? And this is all about, uh, and as a result of the COVID-19. And I know that uh, it's difficult. Uh, we feel like uh, our nation is shutting down. And so here's the perspective that I think we would do well to take. It's simply an act of kindness. It's simply an act of kindness uh, to uh, put ourselves in a position where we are not uh, attempting or uh, enabling someone else to be sick. Uh, really, it's an act of uh, not being self-centered. Uh, really, it's an act of uh, being others-oriented. And so we're just going to move forward, and uh, we're going to trust that the CDC is uh, trying to help as many people as they can. And so we'll move forward with this as long as uh, we need to do this. Um, one other announcement that I'd like to make is that uh, uh, maybe uh, your home, maybe you can go to YouTube, or uh, maybe you're of a generation where you want to pull out an old 8-track. Maybe you can still do that and find some uh, Christian music and uh, participate in a time of worship. Uh, with those who are around you, or if you're all by yourself, maybe even go to uh, uh, YouTube and find some good Christian music. If you're with your family, perhaps you can have a time of communion uh, today, and uh, use whatever emblems you have. Uh, focus on the fact that Jesus' blood was shed for you, his body was broken for you, and uh, draw around and keep that in mind. Do that. If you have any prayer requests, if you have prayer requests today, I would encourage you to email your home church and uh, put those in front of uh, the uh, church, uh, the folks at your church. And then if you would like your prayer request to go out to uh, the leadership, the elders at your church, then I would just encourage you to uh, attach that to your prayer request and let them know that you would like them to reach out to the, the leadership to see that. Uh, one more thing. Uh, remember your church financially. Uh, if you would like to give, all of our churches are built on a, a budget, and uh, this is a kind of a disruption in our regular meetings, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a disruption to our budget. And so if you're not sure how you might be able to give, I would encourage you just email the church, uh, 
uh, ask the question and the leadership will see that and they can get back to you and uh, let you know how best uh, to continue to give. All right, I think those are all of the housekeeping items that I wanted to go for. And uh, so now we're going to move forward with the, uh, the sermon. And the sermon is simply entitled, Not Alone. Not Alone. Not Alone. So when I was growing up on Drexel Boulevard, the northern part of Rockford, Illinois, a uh, bunch of neighborhood kids, down the street uh, was a guy named Carl Button. Carl Button owned four different lots, and uh, they were all connected, and he let the trees grow up on them, he let the grass grow up on them, there were mounds of dirt on them, and they were ultimately the neighborhood playground. And so it wasn't uncommon for all of the neighborhood kids to get together on Button's lots, and uh, we'd play kickball, or we'd play kick the cam, uh, but most often than anything else, we played hide and seek, hide and seek. And so usually we'd all get together, maybe 15 of us, and uh, maybe one of the guys, maybe Wesley Hansen, would just kind of yell out, one, two, three, not it, and then everybody else would follow, and not it, not it, not it, and eventually there would be the last person that would say, not it, and you know, they were it. And if you were it, you know what you had to do. This is what we did when we were there in button slots, is that the person that was it would have to walk up and put their hand on a big oak tree that was out by the street and put their hand on there and then they would begin to count to 100. One, two, they put your head down, you close your eyes, hands up on the tree, count to 100. One, two, three, four. Now I don't know what the rest of them did, but I know, I don't know what the others did, but I know what I did. As my hand was up there on the tree and my head was down and counting, I would begin to think about, okay, who's playing? I know where Wesley Hansen's going to be hiding. Uh, I know where Rick Ball's going to be hiding. I know where Gilbert Park's going to hide. I know where Rich Youngberg's going to hide. They all kind of go to the same uh, general place. I know where uh, they're going. And so I count to 100, and then you take hand off the tree, uh, you'd turn around and you'd look out into the, uh, into the wilderness that was there, and you would yell, Ready or not, here I come. And then you would make your way off into the wooded area where you would try to find everyone. And sure enough, you'd make your way through and uh, maybe you'd see somebody's arm sticking out uh, from uh, behind a tree. Or maybe you'd see somebody's foot sticking out of the brush. Or you'd look up into a tree and somebody would be uh, laying uh, there on a branch or whatever the case might be. You'd make your way over to them. You had to tag them. That's the way we played. You had to tag them. And now they would join me as I began to look around. We'd find another person. We would tag that person. Then the three of us would go out and, and it would just continue until uh, we would just look and look and look until the last person was found. And once the last person was found, that person was now it. And the it person had to go back to the tree, put their hand up on the tree, lower their head, count to 100 before they started uh, the search. I tell you all of that simply because I want to say this. Church family, it's time to play hide and seek. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, this is a uh, different kind of a day, different kind of a time. So, Father, we ask that uh, in all things we would look to you to find our hope and our strength. We ask that uh, you'll help us to be the church that you call us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and write this down. Perhaps you've already seen there in uh, your outline that uh, it says, 
that uh, the sermon is not alone. And also, I would encourage you to write this down. Jesus is near. Jesus is near. Uh, When was the last time you felt really near to Jesus? Have you felt near to Jesus? I can tell you more recently here, there were three very powerful times that I felt very near to Jesus. I went to uh, Ozark Christian College. I went to the uh, uh, preaching and teaching uh, summit. I was at the uh, preaching and teaching uh, summit, and there were a thousand uh, uh, preachers that were there. And uh, the band would come onto the stage, uh, they would lower the lights, and then uh, there would be a thousand preachers, and we were all singing praises, uh, and it was just awesome. It was moving. Uh, I'd get uh, the uh, goosebumps, and, and I would literally, at times, I'd have tears in my eyes because it was so powerful, and I felt so near to Jesus. And then during that same week, that, uh, uh, that was a Monday, Tuesday, and on that, that same week, on a, a Friday night, uh, there was a conference called the Real Men Conference. And the crowd wasn't as big, but there was a band, and the band uh, did a tremendous job with worship. And I sang, and it was a, a lot of fun to be with just a room full of guys singing praises to God. And then just last weekend, just last weekend, I went to a teen convention uh, with a thousand teenagers. It's called Ignite. And uh, uh, just a packed house with a thousand teenagers. Again, the lights uh, dim, the band fires up, and it was just so moving and so powerful. And I looked out at all of these teenagers, and I thought, there is so much hope for the next generation and for the future of the church. And it was powerful, and it was moving, and I felt so close to Jesus. But here we are today, and today is about the exact opposite of those experiences. How could it be more different? Uh, Today we are isolated, we are alone, Uh, perhaps you feel lonely and even disconnected. And so the question kind of becomes is, uh, Is Jesus near me? Can I be close to Jesus even when we're so far apart? Well, if you have your Bibles, I would challenge you to open them up to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, and verses 13 to 21, uh, where we kind of land there in uh, Matthew 14, starting verse 13 to 21. Well, that's the story of Jesus feeding thousands and thousands of people. Jesus fed uh, 4,000 people one time, fed 5,000 people another time. And we know that he calls all of his uh, disciples together and he says, uh, these people have been here a long time and we, we want to take care of them. We want to look after them. We're going to feed them. And so uh, the the numbers as they counted in those days was just men. You've heard that before, perhaps. And so uh, then there would have been women and children. And so uh, uh, thousands and thousands of people, and Jesus uh, feeds all of them. And then at the end of feeding all of those people, uh, perhaps Jesus uh, looks to his disciples that were there, and he says to them, okay, guys, uh, it's time to dismiss this giant crowd. Who is going to dismiss this giant crowd? And then Peter might have looked around and went, one, two, three, not it. And the others went, not it, not it, not it. And then Jesus was the last one to say, not it. And so Jesus was the one to dismiss the crowd. Uh, We pick up the story a little bit later there. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. I'm going to uh, read it. And so uh, the story goes like this. 
Immediately, Jesus, oh, Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And so Jesus, after they do the one, two, three, not it thing, uh, Jesus dismisses the crowd, but he goes to, all of his friends were there, the disciples. These were his, his closest friends. And he scoops them up. He says, I want you guys to get in this boat and I want you uh, to leave the shores and I want you to make your way uh, out there into uh, the sea. And I'm going to stay here and dismiss the crowd. Verse 23 tells us this. After he dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He was there alone. And so after the disciples said, uh, uh, not it, and Jesus was the guy dismissing them, uh, then Jesus goes off to, and we know that Jesus went several times off by himself to pray. We know that he went to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, and Perhaps this time where Jesus went to pray, maybe, maybe Jesus made his way, and maybe Jesus kind of just went up and kind of put his hand on a big tree and just kind of leaned against that tree, and maybe Jesus lowered his head and closed his eyes, and maybe he began to count. And not one, two, three, but we know that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And maybe he just began to think to himself, I, I know where Andrew is. He's, he's out in the boat. And I know where Peter is. He's out in the boat. And Simon's out there. And Judas is out there. And, and maybe he thought, you know, they're hiding out, out there and they're alone. And, and he's talking to his father. And he's, Dad, uh, uh, you know the situation that they're in. And uh, you know where their hearts are towards you. And Maybe he's standing with his hand on a big tree and he's leaning. He's just counting off the disciples and he's praying for them. And he's praying for them. After that takes place, uh, after Jesus gathers up all of his uh, uh, friends and sends them off and then he uh, prays for them. In verse 4 it says, Now the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind uh, was against it. The disciples are out there, and they're all alone in the in the water. And then uh, Jesus decides that he is going to go out and see them. Listen to what verse 25 says. Uh, shortly before dawn, listen to this. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, uh, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Uh, Jesus went out to them to try to find them walking on the lake. While he was walking on the lake, I can't help but wonder, did Jesus say, ready or not, here I come? And, uh, you know, maybe they, uh, that was the first thing that they heard. And all of a sudden, look at what takes place next. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out. In fear. The disciples were all there, kind of hunkered down in the boat as the wind was blowing the boat. And they look out and they see something that they have never seen before in their life. They experienced something that they didn't even have in the realm of possibility. They look out and they see Jesus walking on the water and they were terrified. 
when I was a kid and I was playing hide-and-go-seek, uh, I, I would try to find the best hiding place that I could find. And I would go and I would uh, try to find some place where I could kind of rustle down into the leaves and get down into the brush. So I, sometimes my hiding place was so good that the person that was searching, they could walk right past me and not even see me. Well, that was fun for a while. Uh, you'd kind of be there, and it might be after dark, and it'd be kind of uh, scary a little bit. And so uh, there were times that I was kind of uh, nestled down into my hiding place, and I might, I might pick up a stick or a twig. And I might, I might pick up that stick or that twig and snap that twig. Or maybe what I would do is, while I was hiding, is kind of reach my hand down and, and kind of a rustle, a rustle, the, a rustle the brush a little bit and make a little bit of a, a noise. Because the reality is, though I was enjoying uh, playing the game, the truth is, I really wanted to be found. Maybe you can relate to that even today. Maybe you're home and you are alone, and we're looking around uh, uh, the world, and we are seeing something that we have never seen before, and we are experiencing something that we have never seen before. And maybe you're wondering, will I be found? Does anyone know? Is there anyone looking for me? I think it's important that we advance in the story Because the reality is, is that Jesus went out to find the disciples in the boat. And as he makes his way out there, he knows these guys are now terrified. And so what does he communicate to them? He says this in verse 27. Jesus immediately said to them, immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The commandment of the Son of God to an audience that was experiencing something they had never seen before in their entire life was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But how did the, how did the disciples in the boat respond? Well, listen to this. They replied by saying, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Ultimately, what Peter was saying was, prove it. Are you really the son of God? If you're the son of God and you're out there doing that, then you should have so much power that I should be able to do that too. Prove to me you're you're able to take care of this uh, situation. And so how did Jesus reply even to that? In verse 29, Jesus looks at Peter and says, come on. He says, come, he said. Come on out here. This is no big deal for me. This is very new for you. This is unexpected for you. But I am God and this is not a big deal. That was his response to him. And so what takes place right after that? Verse 29 continues. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. It was proof that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is our only place for ultimate hope. He is the Son of God. He can walk on water, and He can call us to walk on water. He is the Son of God. Verse 30, it continues. But when Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink And he cried out, Lord, save me. Probably the greatest thing he ever said. 
That's something that ultimately we should all say, Lord, I need a Savior, and humble ourselves and surrender our lives to Jesus. Lord, save me. And so what takes place after he says that? Peter was distracted from everything and by everything that was going on around him. He says, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. There was no delay, none whatsoever. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus made his way out, and he found and rescued every last one. Church, it's time to play hide-and-seek. Write this down. If you're following along in the outline, write this down. Stand and count. Church family, it's time to stand and count. Uh, just in your mind's eye, you can kind of stand and, and raise your hand to heaven. And uh, in your mind's eye, you can begin to count and even uh, make a list of those people that you know and that you love that are around you. Maybe they're a part of your church family or even your neighborhood. And they're people that you care about. And make that list and maybe write down five different names and begin to pray for them. Ask God's protection upon them. Ask that you could be an encouragement to them. Ask that during this time of uncertainty, they would fully turn their faith towards Jesus Christ, who has the ability to save, and that this is no big deal for Jesus. It's a big deal for us because we don't get it, but it's not a big deal for Jesus that we would put our faith in him. He is our ultimate hope. And so stand and count. The next part is simply to do this. Search for your friends one at a time. Search for your friends one at a time. Now, the CDC is not recommending that we go door-to-door to door banging on people's door or, or those kind of things. But what we can do in this age of social media is we can, uh, we can be texting our friends or we can be connecting with them through social media. We can uh, pick up our phone and we can, we can call them. We can reach out to them and communicate that we're thinking about them and we love. And that, go back to make that list of five people that you're going to contact every day during this time that's just kind of weird. And search for them. Look for them. Find them. And keep looking until the last point. Look until you find the very last one. Here's what scriptures tell us. John 13, verse 34, over and over, more than 16 times this phrase appears, love one another. It's loving to reach out and to search for your friends. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Romans 12.16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14 verse 19 says, Build up one another. That's what we're supposed to do, church. And so in conclusion, I just simply say to you, one, two, three, not it. So you're it. Go and find those people that are alone. Reach out to them. Encourage them. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.